Let, let this duly be noted that uh, Luis just said off camera, I was told I was going to be asked some questions. <laughs> Absolutely. This is, oh my God. It's like a bug. That's all you know about That's this? That's it. That's it. Do not air this on television. Welcome to another edition of the Todd and Jody podcast here in the middle of November and here in Arizona, of course, we're still waiting for even fall to come. And and uh, my colleague Todd Walsh, of course, is on the road with the Arizona Coyotes where, you know, Todd, when we coordinate these podcasts, uh, it's a lot of planes, trains and automobiles right now with you on the road so much. And uh, last I heard you had a text that you were de-icing in Winnipeg, heading to Montreal. Uh, how did mm. everything go? Two things. Um, these are pillows. I'll just leave it at that. Listen, Jody. <laughs> Good to uh, know. You Good I, to know. Thank you. Yes. You, you and I travel quite a bit. And, and uh, we have always, most of the times, are, you know, very, very lucky because we're, we're traveling on charter flights. And when there's a lot of things that we don't have to experience. So I, I want to be very careful and, and not complain. And I usually, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, I, I don't dive into the charter flight world because it's just, you know, it's a blessing to be able to do that with our partners. But um, Totally. I, have, I hear I, you there. I, when I've had to, you know, when sometimes we meet the team and, you know, oh, I have to carry a bag or check a bag yeah, or drag it through the yeah. airport. So I hear yes. you. And by the way, I just had to do that going to Toronto. And a woman came up to me and said, you have been randomly selected. And I didn't know what that meant. And <laughs> oh, she no. said, I'm going to personally check your stuff here in security. And I said, is this a good thing? And she said, well, do you see that line over there? And it was about halfway around the building on the terminal at six o'clock in the morning. And I said, yes. And she said, well, most people, when they get randomly selected, are really happy to see me. I said, okay. Anyways, I just want to share with you a moment on the plane. And we can, I, we can all laugh about it now. But um, the, the phrase low-level wind shear is something I never want to hear or experience again. Uh, it was very, very windy and very cold in Winnipeg, and uh, we were we were on takeoff on our way to Montreal, and I was having a wonderful chat with Bob Heathouse about Mark Recchi, the Hall of Famer that Bob was mm -hmm. with in Muskegon back in the day in the minors, and <laughs> all of a sudden, um, I looked at Tyson Nash, who I, I realized I've been flying with since 2002, and he, he was over to my right, and he turned and looked at me, and, and he had that look on his face. It was, it was fear. And he was looking right in, my, right in my direction, right into my eyes. And then Paul Bissonnette, who was in front of me, just started yelling. And everyone started, started sort of laughing. And then I looked at Bob, and Bob said, I'm just going to keep talking to change the subject. And I realized <laughs> that we were, I, I, at, at that point, by that moment in time, we were in some sort of a dive and then oh, we, uh, we we responded and, and 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 got up above the clouds and made it to to Winnipeg or excuse me to Montreal um, without any further stress. But I will say that I found out that we did experience low level wind shear. Wow. Well, I know and, wind uh, shear is definitely not bad because you know now you can we can say this because you're okay. But yeah. I mean, you hear that sometimes when you hear about crashes. Yeah, and yeah you do. You do. And I don't. Yeah. And I. Um, <laughs> Let's just say I, I had a – it was a challenge drinking my, my orange juice for a little while. I, I just decided to put the cup down, and I waited for my hands to catch up with my body and slow down a little bit. And I've been flying since they – they used to put name tags on me. It said, my name is Todd, and they put me on a plane in Rochester, New York, and send me out to visit my sister at the University of Arizona when I was eight. But this is uh -huh. up in the – this is in the top five, Jody. It's in the top uh -huh. five of – experiences Man. i don't want to share Gary. okay but i'm here yeah i'm here Gary thank stuff. you for listening <laughs> thanks yeah, for hugging uh, it out 
you know, the travel, you know, obviously uh, with, with the DVACs this year, it was a, a whole different traveling party and a new group of, uh, of coaches and staff and, and you know, chain, kind of changing gears here. And then we'll get back to Coyotes. There are a mm-hmm. few things I know we definitely want to hit on. But uh, Tori Lavella winning manager of, the, manager of the Year, Todd, I just wanted to get your take on, uh, you know, I personally felt, I told Tori, I said, I was just saying, am I biased or, or what? But I, I think Tori Lavella deserves this over the other candidates. They're worthy candidates. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I felt it was well-deserved. What did you think? Yes, I, I did too. It's, it's funny how we keep talking about him on this little podcast that we do. And now we're into November. But um, I said this on the Coyotes pregame show in Winnipeg that it was really cool to be sitting in the press room about an hour before the uh, pregame started and all the television sets that have wall-to-wall hockey coverage as you know in Canada Jody literally 24 hours a day highlights 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 and it was interrupted a little bit by the uh, Canadian Football League playoffs and I I looked up and on every TV I saw a Diamondbacks logo and Tori Lovello's face and then my phone started to blow up. And the, the <laughs> coolest thing for me, and I know you were there, and I'll, I'll stop blabbering, but when I saw the, the disparity or the, the, I'm sorry, the differential between first and second place, I realized that we weren't alone on an island, that everyone that follows baseball figured it out, that Toy Lavella was, was the guy and deserved yeah. it. So. so you were there. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was cool. I, you know, he got 18 first place votes and it was, you know, kind of, a, kind of a landslide. And I think a lot of voters talk about, you know, surprising teams and sure to go from 69 wins to 93 wins and flip that and go back to the postseason, win a wild card game. All of those things are true. But when I'm looking at it and, and I don't have a vote, but, you know, when you see a culture change happening, I think that really speaks because it's, a, it's an overhaul and that speaks to what Tori Lovello did. And so one of the things I asked him when I had the chance to talk to him about an hour after he won the award was, you know, when you came in and took this job, what qualities do you think that you possess that resonated the most with this group to set them up for success? Well, the first thing that I told everybody um, by phone, and it was around this time last year that I was starting to make these phone calls, is that um, I was going to communicate with them and at times maybe make them a little uncomfortable. Uh, and what they said mattered to me, and it mattered to the organization, and that was going to be a new thing to some of these guys and, and maybe not to others. But uh, they all enjoyed the, the idea of me communicating and opening up things and listening. And, and being a communicator means being an active listener. And I spent a lot of time listening to what they have to say so they can get things off their chest and offload and go out and perform. And so I think that kind of sums it up. It's not just about communication, but it's also kind of empowering people to invest in the team by taking ownership, by giving him feedback, you know, and, and they mm-hmm. gave him their feedback. And then he, he kind of, you know, created all of these things that became the culture, the 21 outs for the pitchers and, you know, just how he was going to, you know, talk through things. And, and we saw it when he was mic'd up too. It was really cool just seeing him talk like, uh, you know, he is a father figure in some ways, but he's also like a brother, like an uncle. It, you, I think we saw him have this great relationship with all the guys. Absolutely. I think you nailed that. And you, you guys were on that from the very beginning. And it's funny how, for me, the story goes back to a charter flight. <laughs> uh, Again. A, uh, yeah, because. <laughs> Not, uh, no wind shear involved here. No, though. no, but I, I, I parachute because I like to say I parachuted in on the season once the coyote season ended. And I, I think I, I think you were on the first, were you on the first two road trips? I can't remember, but. First two. Yeah, I think okay. one was a longer one. One was a short one. Yeah. Well, and then I, and, and as you know, Jody, I think. Uh, the equity that we build with these teams every year 
is a lot of it is built when we're out on the road and in the trenches and experiencing the same things they're experiencing and they develop trust in us and and we we just sort of kind of blend in with it but anyways i was on that first road trip and i um that i was on and i sat on the team bus after we were going somewhere and it got crowded and someone that has been around a while i won't say who it was wound up sitting with me and he said to me this whole thing starts with that guy right there up in the front. And he pointed at Tori Lavella and he said, these guys have bought in and they trust him and he trusts them. And I, I never forgot that. And I think I used that about a hundred times in the air, but I think what you're saying in many ways is about that simple word trust. And it's paramount. Yeah. It's paramount in that collective endeavor that you're trying to put together. So I say congratulations to him and, and thank him for all the things he did for us because he, he got what we do. You know, he was so accessible and, you know, no matter what was going on, too. And I think he would have been even if they were struggling. I think it would have, yeah. you know, so. And I he had the great. ability to kind of joke around. And, you know, even in, when things were tough, I mean, he never I mean, really, as a parent, can you tell me how to do that? Don't look irritated ever. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, like he just. <laughs> I, re- I mean, I remember the one time he looked really mad after a game was when Chris Iannetta got hit in the face, and that was directed yep. at the opponent. And then, you know, he talked about, I think there, I think he said there were like two other times after games where we never saw it, and they saw it in the clubhouse. But, you know, he, he just was unflappable, and I think he was able to kind of keep things light. And, and, and that's, you know, like you said, it creates that trust. And, and that was there early if it happened. And you might have even been on the second road trip. I can't remember now, but um, – you know, it might have been early, earlier in the season uh, than, than sometimes that it is when you finish up hockey. But, you know, I think that's early. A lot of times it takes a month or two or three. I think it happened in spring training. So that's credit to Tori. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, life lessons, I think, can be learned from the way that he handled that. Yeah, and in and, and conclusion on that, I think the best part to me is how the Valley has, I think, understood this. And... Diamondbacks fans and even some on the periphery that were waiting for something good to happen that maybe weren't even all the way in past the all-star break started to sense it and and started to see it. And I think in many ways, I think we should pat ourselves on the back as a network because we have access that nobody else has. We showed Tori's strengths and his story all year long. Every single day we were out there and it made our shows better. And I, I, you know, pitchers and catchers, here we come. It was great. And, and it's, you know, it's carried over at Coyotes. You've, you've seen Rick Tockett mic'd up, and that's been kind of groundbreaking. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yes. That's been, you know, <laughs> and look, this is a team that you're laughing, but, you know, uh, because a lot of us, you're wondering, you know, hey, what is it like right now? They're struggling. And what is it like when they're in there in those moments when they're trying to fix things? And yep. that's been really eye-opening too. Yeah. And last, uh, in, in Winnipeg, for me, it was the first time in this really difficult start where I asked rather pointed questions, not not Dan Rather or Mike Wallace questions, but I, I have to start asking now point blank, how in the heck are you going to get out of this? Not the process or there's young guys. Like At some point, you have to ask that. And there were some really interesting answers that are up on our social media pages, and I think we're going to revisit before the puck drops in Montreal but I still go to what Rick Tockett said after the game in Winnipeg, and he said it a lot. It's hard to win this league. It's hard to win games. It's hard to go to the net. It's, it's hard to run this system. And it's a, it's a huge challenge. I just wish I could look around the room and say, 
and, and, and as you know, hockey is the ultimate team sport. I think I shouldn't presume that you know that. I think I, I think you're probably on the same page with me. It is one of the one of the biggest team sports out there. But I still want to look around that room and go, okay, that's the guy. Tonight, yeah, it's going to be that guy. And and the only guy that can really do that is a goalie. Right. And I'll be frank, it's got to happen. A goalie has to go out and stand on his head for sixty minutes. Yeah, and, 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 and it's change this. hard to do, but it does have yep. to happen. And then the yes, other thing does. that struck me about the game in Winnipeg is, look, they're getting shots. I think they had 16 yeah. shots in the second period. Yep. I mean, and you also start to think, at some point, are they going to go in, you know? But yeah. um, it is hard. And I think Rick Tockett, there was one game at home in the last couple of weeks, and I think it was a little bit – it was really eye-opening and a little bit disturbing, though. And when he talks about how hard it is to win, I think he's trying to convince his players. I think there's some young players – I'm not sure who they are, but, you know, he kind of alluded to, at least in that game, is that do they know this is not easy? Do they know what it's going to mm-hmm. take? Are they sacrificing enough? Are they, you know, and, and he said in that game there were maybe four or five guys, and you're thinking, wow, that's got to change because, you know, that's the one thing about hockey. Not only, as you mentioned, is it one of the great team sports, but it is a want-to sport. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, they all are, but, you know, if you play basketball and you're uber-talented, you can go out there and you might be able to – give 75% effort and, and, you know, score 40. But I mean, hockey's a want to, and really by all the guys on the ice. And, and so, you know, I think we've seen it a lot. We've seen it a lot, but I guess I think he's stressing how hard it is to win because I think he really wants to embed that and grain that into the brain. Right now, his young yeah. And I want, frankly, you know, you can't accept or tolerate losing at some point. And, you know, there has to be a matter of more, it's more than pride. It's, it's professionalism. It's everything. And I know they're, they're very young and it's a new system, new players, new coaches, et cetera, et cetera. But someone's got to lead them out of the forest right now. And, uh, and it, 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 you know, one will change everything. And I, I've said this to many people around here. I still would like to go back to opening night, third period in Anaheim. It's, it's hard to lose 4-1 when you have a 4-1 lead in regulation and lose the game. And it happened. And it just, everything was feeling so good that night, even though Anaheim was decimated with injuries, everything felt so good. And then the goaltending just broke down. Anyways, can I, I I would like to leave you on a, can I leave you on a sort of a, it's not a down note because it was so inspirational to me and it was so powerful, but I, I would like to go back to Toronto and the hall of fame and what happened there. If you have a second, Jody, I'd like to share with you, Sort of the, the 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 end of the afternoon where Dave Strader was inducted, not inducted, but received the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award. It was um, a very very powerful experience um, to see his kids up there reading the speech that he wrote. He never completed it, but Trevor and Chris and Casey one by one read chunks of his speech. And I see that we finally have put up the whole 16 minute portion of it up on our social media um, pages. But when it was all said and done. I had a chance to talk to the commissioner, Gary Bettman, about Dave Strader. And I wanted to share a minute or so of that, if you don't mind. Here's Gary Bettman on the late, great, now Hall of Famer, in a way, Dave Strader. He lives in perpetuity, Dave Strader does, does he not? As a, I think, a, an honored servant of this great game. Isn't it kind of the story that maybe you learned about him over the years? The fact is, when somebody is given the Foster Youth Award by the Hall of Fame, they become immortal. Mm-hmm. Although I think in Dave's case, the way he conducted himself both on and off the air, his immortality 
didn't need to be sanctified by the Hall of Fame. He lived his life that way uh, with a great family, a great career. He was universally respected and perhaps most importantly, universally liked. Commissioner, I, there's one thing I didn't touch on in the speech that I gave, but I think it's paramount to what he did and how others should do. It's the word trust. There isn't a coach, a player, a trainer, a general manager, an owner that didn't feel an overwhelming sense of trust with Dave because he always held that so dear. But that's critical to doing this job, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's why he was the consummate professional. He did his homework. He, he didn't make himself part of the story. He told the story in the ways that needed to be told. He was accurate. He was straightforward and he made a great connection between the game and our fans. And that's what a true broadcaster does. The commissioner of the NHL talking about a, a man that we got to know and love, Jody, um, and Dave Strader. He would have been so honored to see his sons up on that stage. Um, I know what it meant to him. I know how hard he tried to get there. He missed it by five weeks. But as I tried to say, Dave, you, you made it and you belong. But I... I I'll never be able to experience anything quite like I did that day. It was an out-of-body experience, and I literally felt Dave's presence when I walked in the room. He was, wow. I, I will believe to the day that I die that I know he was there. Well, I mean, your speech was unbelievable. Um, the way that you described, just the, the way that he did his job and the way he went about it, and, and not just, you know, his persona, because that was, he was an incredible person, just a friend to so many and always with a smile and a joke and but then also on the serious side the job that he did was incredible he yeah. he was an elite broadcaster and yet he made it look easy he made it sound easy and i love the way that you described you know how he was able to do that and frankly i think only you could describe it that way so i know you were really honored to and i know it was on your mind for a really long time going into it and I mean, I'm just so happy for you that you were able to do that and be there with his family. And so to hear that for you, it was, it was, you know, that you could feel his presence there. Um, I'm happy for you that that's how you felt. Well, thank you. And my dear friend, Jody Jackson, who read my speech a few weeks ago, I did tweak a few things, <laughs> one of them by your design. And I thank you for that. And I, I did, I decided I've never been more nervous and more, distraught about anything when I walked into the room I was really really moved by the moment and um, John Davidson came up to me and grabbed me and said this is a celebration Mickey Redmond his longtime partner the Hall of Famer walked up and said you're nervous aren't you I said yeah I'm, my socks are wet and he <laughs> said um, nerves will be good for you it'll give you an edge and so I realized at the very last second and I'll wrap this up but that I wanted to make it really directly for Colleen his his wife. Mm -hmm. And I I thought to myself, she's the strongest person in the room for being here and, and how hard it must be for her. So I really, I just walked up and I looked right at her and I started it by looking at Colleen and um, on a, on a lighter note. And I believe that Dave had a hand in this because <laughs> I know that he would know how brutally uncomfortable it was for me at the beginning. Uh, I was at table one, which included the commissioner, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly and Lanny McDonald. <laughs> I sat down and I'm like, what am I doing here? But it was a it was a wonderful experience and to see just the outpouring of respect for Dave and I looked out and saw his his friends and his peers and 
and that Trevor was wearing the jacket, the Hall of Fame jacket, literally all night. So he was walking around Toronto with the Hall of Fame crest on, which I thought was really cool. So <laughs> awesome. thank you. I, I thank you, Jody, for that. And it was um, I'm glad it's up. If people want to see his sons honor their father, I would encourage that you check it out. All right. Certainly uh, amazing, amazing experience. And um, yeah, that table, I think you've made it. You've made it. <laughs> yeah. table. table one, baby. Pass table the butter, one. please. Table one. <laughs> well, listen, Todd, you be safe out there. Yes, I'm going to try. Thank God for the pilot, right? Yeah, you um, did a heck of a job. Heck of a job. And uh, we wish you well. And, of course, the team on this road trip. And, um, you know, certainly uh, I saw a lot of snow on your on your Twitter feed. And I don't know if that's going to continue. But um, I hope you packed well. Uh, yeah, more I've overpacked as I always do, Jody. I lead the league in that. It's uh, beautiful here in Montreal, fall colors. It's not Winnipeg. And if you don't mind, can I can I end this with uh, the song that I referred to in my speech? Absolutely. Okay, so the, the deal is that uh, Dave Strader and I used to communicate through Beatles lyrics and Beatles songs on the air. It was a challenge. He was the fastest gun in the West. And <laughs> I remember uh, sitting at the lodge one night with him in Chicago on Rush Street, the famous little hang out and uh, we were by the jukebox and the song I'm Looking Through You came on the jukebox and I started singing it and he looked at me and said how in the world do you know the lyrics of I'm Looking Through You and I said Dave doesn't everybody know Rubber Soul and then that led to my conclusion of the speech it's one of my favorite songs so that one's for Dave he would love to hear a great tune right now and I hope you do too but thank you Jody thank you Todd Thanks for listening to the Todd and Jody podcast on Fox Sports Arizona. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. 